Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hey, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Oh, I'll be honest. This is our second attempt to record the <laughs> intro. I just put up a big brick. Um, a real airball, as they say in podcast. Sometimes I feel like it's my fault. Because if I were on your level, I could, <sighs> I could stay there with you. you no, know? I think you're way above my level at this point. <laughs> and I tried to sort of assert my level. But I said something about like... We're doing Hollywood gossip, and then I was like Joe Pesci, and then I talked about how he robbed a zoo, and like none of it was even like even remotely funny was the problem. It was like funny in that sort of like and usually Joe Pesci slam dunk, you know? Yeah, usually you just say Joe Pesci's name, and mm-hmm. it's kind you, of a fun name. Yeah, Pesci, 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 but not fun to come up with a joke about because I I failed you and I failed the audience, and I guess this press conference is just me saying I'm sorry, but. Oh, uh, Griffin, I have a question. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Rachel McElroy. Uh, Hollywood Reporter. Oh, I didn't know. I thought you worked at a community college. Well, this is the Hollywood gossip, and so I'm here from Hollywood Reporter. They just, you're freelancing for To them? get the Hollywood gossip. Well, oh, okay. I'm, I'm right. in the fiction. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Right now. Okay. Oh, sorry, I didn't know. Okay, I'll get yeah. the fiction mm-hmm. with you. Uh, my question Hail, is- Hail, my lady. Would you like to see one of my spells? I'm in the fiction, in okay. the fiction uh, sorcerer. <laughs> um, I know that your expertise is in wizardry, so, Griffin. Uh, yes. Uh, but you also know Hollywood gossip, which oh, I appreciate about you. For sure. Uh, so I'm wondering if you could tell us anything. Oh, the scoundrel Joseph Pesci? I have heard a tidbit about him. I have heard that he is in the new Harry Potter. He is in there. So first off, they're making a new Harry Potter. Yes. In this one? It's a grown-up origin story. It's sort of an adult prequel, and Joe Pesci's in it, and he's playing Hogwarts. He's <laughs> Ooh, playing like the whole. Uh, he's playing the whole castle, uh, and I'm in it as the wizard king. Oh, you're in it. Yes, Glubius. And I'm in it, and I rule the school, which, again, is played by Joe Pesci. He does great. He's got paintings hanging on him and a little stairwell that, like, moves around and a dead girl in a bathtub mm-hmm. ghost. Um, mm-hmm. Kind yeah. of a Gulliver's Travels a little sort bit? Sort of a Gulliver's Travels, yes. I like it. Yes. Okay, that was all right. That one's all right. You want to do it again, though? No. Do you have any small wonders? <laughs> I do. Oh, good. Mine might be the same as yours. Okay. Monkey bread. Monkey bread. Griffin made monkey bread. Did you eat it again today? I just did before we came up here. Fuck yeah. I thought I saw you nibbling on that monkey mm-hmm. bread. Monkey bread is biscuits with cinnamon sugar on them. And then you put those in a bunt cake pan. Sometimes there's raisins and walnuts. Well, you put some raisins and walnuts. Rachel splurged for golden raisins. I did. Mm-hmm. Why go regular when there's golden? Sure. And then you get like put some brown sugar and butter into a pan and you drip that all over and you bake it for a bit. And holy shit, it's really good. Also, it was th- like three biscuit uh like containers worth of dough in there so we're gonna be eating it for a while well you are because i'm leaving <laughs> tomorrow damn uh monkey bread's really good this beer is really good we've oh, been yeah. drinking this new dogfish head beer and it's um what's it called uh sequench ale session sour i feel like a complete fraud whenever i talk about like beer because i don't really drink that much of it it's salty yeah it's got lime juice black uh lime juice lime peel black limes and sea salt i don't know what a black lime is but it tastes really good in this in this brewski. Yeah. You start this week, according to wonderful.fyi. I know I do. What you got? I would like to return to the poetry corner. Hey! Will you uh, sing my theme music? Yeah. Hey, baby, get on to the bus. We're going to the 
Poetry Corner. The bus has no seats or seatbelts. It's just some stools. It's not street legal, but that's okay. <laughs> the Poetry Corner ain't far. Oh, man. I should have asked for the abridged version, which is just the Poetry Corner ain't far. Yeah. But I like sort of the imagery of like a bus, but instead of chairs, there's like nice poet stools. Mm-hmm. Po- Did I make that up? Like the mystery machine, but for poets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet if you look in like a Pottery Barn catalog, you can buy a quote a poet stool. stool. What's your poem this time? Uh, the poem is called Thank You for Saying Thank You by Charles Bernstein. Oh, the name is familiar. There's a lot of Bernsteins in the world. That is fair. <laughs> That's probably how you know him. Uh, thank you for saying thank you? Yes. Okay. It's a really great poem. I'm excited by how excited you are about it. Uh, Charles Bernstein is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, He's written more than 15 books of poems. Go Cougars. Is that right? I have no fucking idea. Come on, baby. (laughs) Earlier, I wanted to talk about the World Cup, and Griffin told me that talking about sports when you don't know about sports is sports. This isn't sports. It's a school's general mascot. Oh, is that still okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, He was one of the originators of, quote, language poetry. Uh, which not all poetry? Well, it became a thing in the 60s and 70s because it emphasizes the reader's role in bringing meaning out of work. It played down expressions, seeing the poem as a construction in and of language itself. Now, see, I preferred the works of Davy Coolstool, who uh, came up with math poetry. And have you heard about this? He I had would one, love to hear about this. He has this. one that's like eight times eight and sixty. Wait, hold on, Griffin. I didn't get to do your Poetry Corner theme song. Oh, sure. Go ahead. We got stanzas, we got stanzas, we got rhyming pentameter. It's the poetry corner with Griffin. So anyway, Davy Coolstool wrote this real jazzy poem, and it's called... I'm sort of conflating jazz and poetry in my mind for this whole aesthetic of this segment. That's fine. But it's like eight times eight is 64, 12 times seven is... Eighty-four, I think, and nine times. <laughs> so, Link, what's? Uh huh. Let's get back in the real poetry corner. Uh, so this is a poem I actually got to hear him read in oh, person. Oh, at he, school? Yeah, he came to University of Chicago when I was there, uh, and performed this poem. Let's I love hear it. it. I'm charmed by it. I'm very excited. I again, you're not in the studio, listener at home. Rachel is beaming she is bouncing with anticipation i'm just i'm so psyched i'm ready to have my, my mind blown i had to sit through your whole math cool stool while i was waiting davy cool stool okay he did math poetry yes all right i'm starting the poem now and i'm saying that because it's going to start and you're not gonna believe that it started is uh, okay hold on but is this the po- <laughs> is <laughs> this start- a poem okay. i'm starting now this is a totally accessible poem There is nothing in this poem that is in any way difficult to understand. All the words are simple and to the point. There are no new concepts, no theories, no ideas to confuse you. This poem has no intellectual pretensions. It is purely emotional. It fully expresses the feelings of the author, my feelings, the person speaking to you now. It is all about communication, heart to heart. This poem appreciates and values you as a reader. It celebrates the triumph of human imagination amidst pitfalls and calamities. 
This poem has 90 lines, 269 words, and more syllables than I have time to count. Each line, word, and syllable have been chosen to convey only the intended meaning and nothing more. This poem abjures obscurity and enigma. There is nothing hidden. A hundred readers would each read the poem in an identical manner and derive the same message from it. This poem, like all good poems, tells a story in a direct style that never leaves the reader guessing. While at times expressing bitterness, anger, resentment, xenophobia, and hints of racism, its ultimate mood is affirmative. It finds joy even in those spiteful moments of life that it shares with you. This poem represents the hope for a poetry that doesn't turn its back on the audience, that doesn't think it's better than the reader, that is committed to poetry as a popular form, like kite flying and fly fishing. This poem belongs to no school, has no dogma, it follows no fashion. It says just what it says, it's real. Did something happen? (laughs) (laughs) Did something happen to him to make him write this poem? I mean, so here's, he became a language poet because him and his friend started a magazine called Language where they published a lot of poetry and basically started this whole movement. And we're always kind of resistant to being part of a movement. Language poetry, as a reminder, emphasizes the reader's role in bringing meaning out of work. It plays down expressions, seeing the poem as a construction in and of language itself. That seems like a really tricky needle to thread without writing a poem explicitly like this. I I find this approach kind of charming. It's like super obviously self-referential. Sure. Um, but it also kind of addresses any potential criticism he might ever get, right? <laughs> which I think is kind of incredible. What I'm saying is like, was it born out of that criticism? Because oh, so much of that sounded so shit eating grin. Like he is. So he's like an academic. He okay. studied philosophy in school. He does a lot of translation. Um, his, his approach to poetry and teaching is very scholarly. So probably no stranger to like literary criticism. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not exactly sure if he wrote this after he entered academia, but a lot of his poems are very like tongue in cheek. So I really like this poem. It was it was really charming to see him read it because I had been going to readings every month. I would say while I was in graduate school and seeing a lot of very like heavy handed, yeah, dense, like very abstract poems. And I just felt so delighted to sit here and have this guy kind of guide me through his poem in this way that was very much like hey, we're all doing something a little silly here right now. <laughs> I can't imagine being the kind of poet who would do the other thing. Of just, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying it's without, you know, virtue or it whatever. It happens, though. Yeah. It happens. It definitely happened to me. Like, you're, you're reading all of these, like, very scholarly texts, and you're around all these people that are very intellectual, and you just feel this pressure to be more and more indirect with what yeah. you're trying to do. And I think a lot of people would say this as musicians or as visual artists or photographers, like you start to feel this external pressure of like everything has to be under a veil, you know, and if somebody gets my um, context right away, then I'm not doing anything particularly mysterious or talented. Yeah. Uh, and so I really appreciate this poem, um, especially as, as it goes on. And he says, uh, the, uh, the line, a uh, hundred readers would each read the poem in an identical manner and derive the same message from it. Yeah, that was very good. <laughs> That's a very good poem. Yeah, I thought I would share that. I've liked every poem you've brought. This got, really has hey, been a, you got, got great very, taste. I've got yes. very good taste. <laughs> but like, I didn't like many poems. I liked like the, um, 
that one E.E. Cummings one that was all right. And then like... Shel Silverstein? Oh, yeah, I guess. That was kind of my... I mean, that's that was my jumping off point into poetry. But now I like so much more because of this great segment on this fun podcast we do together well, as lovers. Thank you. Um, do you want to know my first thing? Yes. So um, we watched A Quiet Place for the first time a couple of nights ago. Yeah. And... It, it fucking rules. It's a very good movie. It's extremely scary. And as the parent of a, a young child, it was especially kind of scary because there's um, a pretty substantial amount of child endangerment in that flick. But it was fucking great. It was a really, really good movie. And I thought, like, oh, I could bring that. But then I had this idea. It sort of made me realize, like, a bigger picture thing that I think is wonderful. And it's something that happened to me while I was watching that movie. And that is discovering a new favorite thing. Not just seeing a good thing and knowing, like, oh, this is really good. But discovering something and knowing that it is meaningful to you and it is very good. And you know that you are going to return to it at some point in the future this idea i did too and this happened to me with a quiet place because the whole time i was watching this it was i had this like mounting excitement of like i think this is going to be one of my new favorite things um and it helps that like it's a pretty thrilling movie from like front to back like uh i was enraptured by it pretty much the whole time this happens to me with like any kind of creative work right like i've read books and like i'll be a few chapters in and be like oh this is going to be one of my favorite books or uh, I played a game and, you know, halfway through I'm like, okay, I'm very excited because it's going to be one of my new favorite games. Um, I feel like it happens to me with movies a lot with horror movies, which like, I don't even think I'm a super big fan of. Maybe it's just, I'm so thrilled and enraptured by them the whole time that like, I kind of have to pay it. And so I get that mixed up emotion of like, this is really good and I like it. And also I'm really scared of it. Horror movies kind of challenge you pretty quickly in the movie. Sure. You know, and I think there's something about that that really draws you in fast yeah you're putting maybe i just like horror movies more than i think but like they put you in this like heightened state for 90 minutes and that sort of i don't know makes you feel this attachment to it but like when i think back i was trying to think of like movies this has happened to me recently with and like uh, a quiet place uh get out uh, I, yeah. I remember seeing that in theaters and being like first of all like this movie is so fucking great and i'm so happy that jordan peele made a fucking killer awesome badass movie but also like oh shit, like I'm going to watch this movie again a lot because yeah. it's really, really good. Uh, it Cabin- follows? It follows, yeah. yeah. Uh, I Actually, I'm, I'm legit too scared to go back to that one. Uh, <laughs> Cabin in the Woods, like yeah. I've watched that a few times now. The Thing, the original The Thing with Kurt Russell, I watched that for the first time and I was like, this is one of the best fucking movies I've ever seen. I'm going to watch yeah. this so much and I have. You yeah. And I- also I noticed like, all the horror movies you mentioned kind of deal in world creation, which I know is something that's really interesting. Oh, for sure. Of like, not always science fiction, but this idea of like, you have to kind of enter this universe where certain things are true. And I know that's something you like. To do a brief aside on A Quiet Place and talk about why I liked it so much is because it is, like you said, it's a movie that does world creation. And it does that by doing one of my favorite things in any movie, especially in a horror movie, which is uh, establishing rules, right? So this is how the monster works in, in, uh, you know, Nightmare Before, uh, on Nightmare Before Elm Street, <laughs> Freddy like Krueger only gets you if you fall asleep. There are rules to it. There are rules of engagement. And in A Quiet mm-hmm. Place, it, uh, tells you what the rules are. It tells you what the, how, how you're going to get got by the monsters if you, uh, make too much sound. And it sort of builds on this, this exposition of just like showing a newspaper clipping or showing some stuff on a, uh, a whiteboard, like showing you the rules of the world. And then once you know all the rules, now it's time for the movie to start. I fucking love that. And yeah. it does it really well. Anyway, that's a brief aside. It's a really, really great movie. <laughs> um, but like music too. 
I, I hear an album and every track resonates with me. And I'm like, it's, I think it's especially meaningful for, for music because it's really easy to listen to music no matter where you are. And I, I do it every day a lot. And so when I hear like Carly Rae Jepsen's emotion for the first time and every track is really good, I feel like it's almost like a goof that how much I like that album, but I have listened to it so much because yeah. that first time, uh, you know, you hear, all the tracks together, and you're like, wow, this is fucking great. That new Snail Mail album, uh-huh. I listened to that for the first time all the way through when you you brought it to the show, and like, I knew about Pristine and Heat Wave, and those songs yeah. are really good, and I listened to it all the way through, and the whole time I was listening to it, I just couldn't shake the feeling like, I'm gonna listen to this a yeah. lot. This is one of my new favorites. Um, and, and games, too, and, and books, like, I, I love this feeling, and I want to be specific. I'm not talking about, like, having a big... Uh, catalog of favorite things. That's, that's good. I'm talking about that moment of discovery of, oh shit, this is going to go in, in the pantheon, right? It's like when you ate that pasta at Barley Swine. It's like when I ate, oh God, there's a restaurant in town called Barley Swine. It is very nice. It's very expensive, but they have a pretty killer happy hour. And they have this like shiitake mushroom pasta where it's like basically pasta gushers filled with, shiitake mushroom sauce it's like ravioli with like this liquid center me it is my favorite thing i've ever eaten i took one bite of it the first time rachel and i went there and i was like oh that's my uh, the best bite of food i've ever had in my (laughs) mouth my whole life that's great um you can have it with like anything but like i don't necessarily know if having a huge collection of favorite things is a good idea where you and i want to be clear like when you find one of these new things, right, and you have this moment of discovery, and it's so excite- exciting, uh, I-, I think that's a kind of, like, future nostalgia, where you're like, oh, boy, I'm going oh. to be nostalgic about this and-, and enjoy it because it's one of my favorite things. And I think that's very exciting in the moment, but I think, like, blind nostalgia is not necessarily the best thing, especially if you don't, you know, occasionally let one of your favorite things go off the list when you rewatch it and you find that you've, like, outgrown it. Yeah. I think that's a pretty serious problem uh obviously like it doesn't let you make way for new things to come into your life if you're always watching and indulging in sort of old things but i also think that it can lead to uh you know not just personal but like cultural problems where you start to say like well this is a perfect relic of my past that can do no wrong and what you're describing is like is critical to being like an interesting old person sure you know like the as you get older it's so important to kind of continue to discover new things yeah and be Um, honest about the things that you do love that maybe you're you're not as into anymore yeah um but like all that aside, there is something really special about that moment where you discover a new favorite thing. Like it kind of makes the act of watching or listening to or reading or playing the thing that you are experiencing much, much larger than the moment of that first experience itself. Like it, it, it becomes a sort of like checkpoint in the future where you know, like I'm, I can't wait to watch this again. I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know like who I'm going to be. I don't know what I'm going to be into then, but I know that I'm going to want to rewatch this yeah. thing. Uh, and I think that moment is really nice. Yeah, that's great. Can I steal you away? Boop, 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 boop. That was in like two nine time signature. <laughs> 14 beats per minute. I was very into it. Thank you. I'm really into this like noise punk that you bring. This like noise <laughs> punk genre. Uh-huh. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis, um, website design 
or website functionality, and you think that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia <laughs> Styles episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh, your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain griffin yeah you know it's a shame what is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? <laughs> it's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. This message is for Tish Tosh Josh. It is from the Jewel Crabs. Thank you so much for the International Dungeoneers League. It, in just the first year of the campaign, you introduced us to Starcross Satyrs. 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 I think it's Satyrs. I actually don't know. It's like the Mr. Tumnus. Oh, yeah. No, I know I'm, I, mean, I know what they are. I just don't know how to say them. You're real familiar with Mr. Tumnus. Oh, man. Dream I don't boat. even know what that means. Dreamboat. <laughs> okay. Let me just let me just start. Yeah, this we'll take a fresh later. run. Just trying not to get too much drool when you're thinking about Tumnus in there. <laughs> Those furry legs. Yeah, and the you know, nude torso. Mm-hmm. Let's begin. <laughs> don't think about Mr. Tumnus. Let's go. <laughs> I'm serious. Let's 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 they paid money for this message. Let's do it right. Don't you know ruin it by thinking about Mr. In Thomas. just the first year of the campaign, you introduced us to Starcross Satyrs, Janitor Deities, Sweet Baby Bix, Hooligan Teen Fire Newts, Too Many Goddamn Mimics, and so much more. We can't wait to see where you take us next. Much love, Moana, Breve, Grom, Fahona, and Niramore. And now you know. The challenge of reading people's Dungeons and Dragons character names. Sometimes it's sometimes it's a challenge. I'm glad that there is such a large diversity of names out there, but sometimes they're a real tongue twister. 
What's wrong? Are you thinking about Tumnus still? <laughs> no, I'm rethinking the way I pronounce all those. No, you did a good job. You just got to go with the first yeah, pass. Yeah, I know. You just got to commit. Yeah. This next message is for Amanda. It is from Zach. Hey, Amanda, it's Zach. The animals asked me to submit this message. You are the best kitty slash dog mom around. Sorry about stealing your food, sanity, and ability to sleep. We are monsters. Heap Z's and the <laughs> and the scheme shmup. P.S. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to hearing the McElroys read the weird names you gave our pets. Yeah, give me that one more time. Heap skis and the shmup. Heap Z's and the shmishmup. Shmishmup. S C H M E. S C H M U P. Shmishmup. Shmishmup. They're just fucking cackling right now. They're raffling so hard. I love you. Mas, mas, mas. That's a sweet message. I'm sorry that they threw so many names at you in the shmishmup. Well, it's part of the gig, you know, Griffin? I don't complain. That's one of my things. No, you wear it proudly. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would have done a better job if you weren't thinking about Mr. Quivering, Thomas? yeah. <laughs> he plays the little flute, too, doesn't oh, he? Oh, he loves the flute, yeah. Beginning this summer, you can listen to new episodes of Inside Pop every other week for an even deeper dive inside the world of pop culture. Now, we're still bringing you our brilliant insight, always on the nose opinions, and insidery inside information on the most interesting pop culture stories of the week. And we'll also have interviews with the pop culture professionals who create the culture you crave. For example, we'll speak to casting directors about how they find the right talent for the right role. We'll talk to music supervisors about how they choose the music to create the right mood. And we'll grill producers who'll discuss what exactly a producer does. Oh, man, Sean, how many times has someone said to you, oh, you're a producer, so what do you actually do? So many times. (laughs) Same here. So make sure to catch Inside Pop every other Wednesday on Maximum Fun to indulge your pop culture obsessions. And to hear in-depth interviews from the movers and the shakers in TV, music, film, and more. What's your second thing? My second thing is my favorite high school TV show heroine. And that is Lindsay Weir. Absolutely. So I bring this up because uh, A&E has a show called Culture Shock. And I guess tonight, as we're recording, Monday, uh, they're airing a Freaks and Geeks documentary. I would love to fucking watch that. I know. Um, Culture Shock, I guess, is a whole show. Uh, it's a docuseries uh, that talks all about like pop culture, like impactful things. Sure. Um so, Freaks and Geeks, incredible show. Just aired from 1999 to 2000, one season, 18 episodes. Uh, averaged under 7 million viewers while it was on the air. And this is in the era of shows like Frasier and Friends that were averaging over 14 million viewers. Not as good. No. One might say half as much. I was reading and the show was up against Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Which, oh, if you fuck remember back me. Then, was like hot stuff. I watched that every episode. Uh-huh. Damn it. Could have been watching Freaks and Geeks. Oh, I did not watch Freaks and Geeks until I was like in college. So I was thinking about a lot of high school shows that I love, mm-hmm. like My So-Called Life and The O.C. and Friday Night Lights and Dawson's Creek. I'm so glad O.C. made the list. Here's the thing, though. Yeah. All very, very attractive people living lives that I couldn't exactly relate to. Sure. Um. I mean, you were kind of a Ryan, you know, wrong side of the tracks. Oh, yeah, clearly. Sort of. Uh, Just always getting in scuffles. Yeah, always, you know, punching the rich boys. Yeah. Here's the thing about Freaks and Geeks. Uh, just actual kids, like actual teenagers that like 
seemed like real people sure. uh, and did real things and episodes were about like real life stuff. I think it does such a good job of being relatable to the two categories of people that are in the title of the show, even though like it takes place in the 70s, right? 80s. Early 80s. 80s. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So in the show, um, Freaks and Geeks, as as we mentioned, the geeks are kind of like the, I don't want to say nerdy, more dorky than nerdy, because they're not like like superstar scholars or anything. No, they're they're just really interested in these like. Is very that what you niche think things. the differentiation between I a nerd and a so. dork is? Okay, I think a nerd is somebody who does really well academically, and a dork is somebody that's just really into like very like niche, like underground things. Guess I've never given it thought before. I have. Okay. <laughs> the thing I like about Lindsay Weir. Obviously, I've mentioned on the show before, I'm a big fan of My So-Called Life. Sure. But Angela Chase was gorgeous and got to date Jordan Catalano and got to like have these super exciting friends and do all these super cool things. Lindsay Weir is just like, she's a smart kid who like feels kind of disenchanted and she's kind of exploring what else is out there and kind of hanging with these kind of trouble, traditionally like troublemaker kids uh, and figuring out you know, what's important to her and what she's going to stand for uh, in this very relatable way. For sure. The catalyst for her, like, sort of self-exploration and trying to, like, fit in with this new group and redefine herself is that her grandmother dies. Yeah. And that's, like, the first episode is her sort of coming to coming to grips with that and explaining, like, this is why I'm, you know, changing. And holy shit, is that relatable? That's the most relatable. Yeah, she's kind of like, well, and also she gets a crush on Daniel Desario, who's played by James Franco. Uh, and so she's kind of drawn to that group yeah. of folks because he's part of it. Uh, but this show, I mean, I feel like most people know about it, but there are just a tremendous number of people who went on to have these incredible careers. Sure. Uh, like Seth Rogen and James L- Franco, as L- I mentioned. Linda Cardellini, who plays yeah, this uh, role. Jason Siegel is in it. Um, Busy Phillips. Yeah. Busy Phillips is so fucking good in this she's show. So good. She plays Kim Kelly, and there's a whole episode about Lindsay getting invited to dinner at her house. God, that episode fucking rules. It's so good. She's like, Kim is trying to impress her parents because her parents think that she's a loser. And so they want to like see some sign that she is like not a troublemaker. And so she invites Lindsay over because Lindsay's this like superstar, like student. And, um, they make up this elaborate story about Lindsay's family going to Benton Harbor <laughs> and they ask her all these questions and it becomes very clear that Lindsay is making it up. And then they literally have to run out of the house and jump in the car and drive away. Um, but it's just like, there are episodes that are just like, just like, so Lindsay at a certain point is dating uh, this guy, Nick, who's played by Jason Siegel and he is a drummer. And he is interested in being a musician. And she just kind of assumes that he's really good uh, because he's so committed to it and passionate about it. And so she really pushes to be supportive to like get him and his friends to practice more and become like a really good band. And then she very quickly realizes like, oh, this band is not good. Yeah. And so then she encourages him by getting him an audition to be in this band that he loves. It's like local band. And he just... He bombs. totally bombs it. And it, it's just like the stakes feel so reasonable and so relatable. And, and Lindsay is just this character. I mean, Linda Cardinelli is, of course, also very gorgeous. I think it's Cardellini. Cardellini. Is it? 
C-A-R-D-E-L-L-I-N-I. I looked at it myself. Okay. Uh, I've also always said it wrong. <laughs> um, the actress that plays Lindsay is obviously like also very gorgeous, much like uh, Claire Danes. But um, it, it feels like the show's not about that, you know? It's, sure. it's about like her figuring out kind of where she should take a stand and what kind of person she's going to be. Um, and there's, there's moments in the show where she kind of feels uncomfortable with this new kind of rebellious group and tries to return to this mathlete life that she had prior. Uh, and she feels like she can't fit in there anymore either. And it's, you just kind of watch her struggle and that struggle just, it feels so, um, so right on to me. It is the, it is the most, uh, realistic, like coming of age TV show I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's still on Netflix. And if you haven't watched it, I would really, really encourage it because it is, it is so sweet and honest. Uh, and I just like as a female watching a high school show, it's very rare that you get the lead as somebody who is not just worried about losing her virginity. Sure. Or, you know, like getting, you know, a date to the dance. Like, She's grappling with these kind of very real uh, decisions about who she's going to be, and it just felt so true to me. Yeah, uh, and I'm I'm a huge fan. It's really good. It, go watch it on Netflix. You will tragically finish it very fast. <laughs> yeah. It did not make it very long. Can I tell you about my second thing? Yes. Do you know my favorite episode of Freaks and Geeks? The Dungeons and Dragons one. Yeah. So I want to talk about Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> is my second thing because our graphic novel for the Adventure Zone. Uh, balance like first arc here the be girlins comes out tomorrow at the time that we're recording this which is fucking wild we worked Tuesday. on that for a while uh and it got me thinking about like the 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 like origin days yeah, of that show talked about that on the show yeah and so i i went back and like listened to the beginning of like the pilot episode oh, really? today and i was appalled was at the, oh, yeah. the audio quality is so <laughs> fucking bad um and we cuss so much anyway um so other than that episode of Freaks and Geeks, my exposure to D&D was very limited. I started listening to a, a D&D podcast that was done by the Penny Arcade guys and a couple other folks uh, when I was living in Cincinnati. So this was like 2009. And I was like kind of interested in trying it because the podcast made the game seem really accessible and really fun. Um, and so I found a group. Uh, on like the message boards for a local game shop. And when I say local, I mean like a 40 minute drive from my house. So it was quite the commitment to make my weekly sessions with them. Uh, and I played with that group like five or six times. And this is when you were in Cincinnati? This is when I was in Cincinnati. This was my first exposure. Uh, I played a dragonborn paladin. And uh, I don't remember anything else about my character because it was eight <laughs> years ago. Um, and then there was this long dry spell until fifth edition came out. And that was the rule set that we played in uh, the, the adventure zone, the first arc. And, um, we, I just wanted to play it. And so we went out and recorded the first episode. It was just supposed to go up on my brother, my brother and me as like a, oh, an yeah. episode during Justin's paternity leave. And then yeah. it turned into, uh, the, the podcast. Um, and the podcast is something that I cherish very, very much that, that first campaign was, uh, the, the like creative work I am like most proud of in my life. The thing I've worked the hardest on in, in my whole life. Second, Can you explain what a campaign is? Yeah, it's a story. It is a story with the same characters that Dad and Justin and, and Travis play you the whole that, time. But it, it like lasted for years, right? It lasted for three and a half years. Yeah. 69 episodes, nice. And yes. so I wanted to talk about D&D, not so much talking about the book, but go um, buy it, please. 
what I appreciate about D&D now is how flexible it is. And that's something that kind of scared me off of it because I was in theater growing up like my whole life and I definitely had a lot of friends who were who were playing usually my uh, brother's friends who were like older than me I saw playing and I would you know look in their player's handbook and I would just see all these like tables full of yes. numbers and yes. rules and all this stuff and I would say like this seems like accounting I am not interested in it it seems so rigid and it seemed like a lot of memorization and it didn't seem very fun that's the way I feel about it now but it isn't because it is actually a very very flexible game which is to say like different groups play it in different ways um there are also sort of resources to help you out with like the rules and stuff um some online resources and some like apps and stuff uh or you can get a friend to to help you out but um what i love is how flexible it is because you can play it in all these different ways there are people who do it in this like high fantasy style with you know characters with like very very long names and everybody talks in accents and weave these rich tapestries of lore spanning you know centuries in their in their world that they've created together and then there's groups who just kind of treat it like a like an improv party game um and i think we probably landed somewhere in the middle for a podcast and then there's some folks who like it's just about having like fun interactions with your friends and then there's some groups that's all about like the game and playing the game well and like getting new loot and getting stronger um there's all these different ways to play it there's no one sort of static way to play it and i've played it a couple times now sometimes as a player sometimes as the 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 dm or the dungeon master um and I just think the whole experience of playing D&D and really any RPG, I'm, I know I'm being very myopic right now. We're playing other RPGs on Adventure Zone now, but I want to specifically talk about D&D. Um, it is fun in a way that nothing else I've ever done is because it is kind of, um, it is kind of like an unreproducible thing. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's so many things all together. It is, um, it is c- communal improv, probably with people who don't do that very often it is a game with rules it is a story that one person has tried to create that will then be modified by other people and then further modified by the random element of dice rolls according to the rules it is all of these different very very strange things that when it all comes together there is no other experience like it that i know of maybe larping but I've never really dipped my toe in that water. That's for me kind of the final frontier. <laughs> um, and I think like I, I did stigmatize it like growing up because I couldn't imagine like the leap you would have to make out of your comfort zone to say, to embody this yes, character that exactly. you have created in front of your, in front of your friends. Like, to, like stand in front of people and say like, I am a dwarf. Right. And that is, that's the bit, that's it, right? Like yeah. that's the big thing. And I saw my, my friends in theater, uh, doing, do, playing D and D like between scenes when they weren't, uh, when they weren't on stage. Um, which by the way, the distinction there, I now realize is nothing. <laughs> the distinction there is non-existent between saying like, I'm playing a, a, a dragonborn paladin named, you know, Steve. Yeah. What would versus, my character say in this moment? Versus exactly like, what being well, I'm playing is. Templeton the rat in Charlotte's <laughs> web. Um, it's the same thing. Uh, but I wrote it off as like the nerdiest imaginable thing you can do because I could not imagine that sort of allowing yourself to be exposed, which I realize is a sort of cruel read of the situation. And also I would have that thought and then I would go fucking play the Pokemon trading card game or something. (laughs) So where the fuck do I get off? Um, but there's something about making yourself vulnerable to do exactly that to say, I made this character. Here's what I think they'd 
say, here's how I think they'd say it. Yeah. Here's what I think they would do. You have to make yourself very vulnerable that to do that. blows me away. Like, I think about that a lot. Like, the, the challenge in, in theater and in Dungeons and Dragons and anything where you are creating a character and you are committing to it, like, that is so, like, fearless to me. Uh, I can't imagine it, like, it's, doing it. It is, it is scary. Um, yeah, whenever I was like a player on a, a Adventure Zone, like I was scared like the whole time. I was also very, very scared as DM that like something would go horribly wrong and I wouldn't know how to react <laughs> to it. Um, but as a player, like you were scared because there, you have to lose that fraction of yourself that wants to take 10 seconds to figure out the yeah. way to respond and just kind of go with it. Yeah. And so to do that, you have to make yourself really vulnerable, right? And in a way that makes when it goes well, so much better. That's a good point. When you make yourself vulnerable by uh, embodying this character you made up and going out on a limb and having it pay off, whether it's like a cool heroic moment in the story or like a good character interaction with one of the other players or like a cool moment of character development, um, anything that like anybody in the rest of the group actually like appreciates, it feels so fucking satisfying because of the risk that you took to do it. And I think that's another really, really cool no, thing about this that you really don't really get for other stuff. It. Yeah, because I think about like character voices and costumes and everything, and I just think, you do not have like, to do that. Oh gosh, that doesn't seem pleasant to me. No, but but you know you're committing to something, and if you're sharing that with other people, there's a lot of reward in that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I've also mentioned like embodying the character you make up. I also just think like making characters in D and D is actually very yeah, fucking cool. Of course. I know I would like look at the book when I was younger and be like, that's too many rules. And now I look at it and I'm like, that's just enough rules. <laughs> I enjoy all the rules in there. Cause it's like really cool, both from a mechanical standpoint of saying like, what kind of hero would I want to be? Right. Would I want to be able to like do magic and be a sorcerer or a warlock or would I rather be like kind of a sneaky rogue or, uh, you know, a ranger? Or would I rather be a big like plate mail wearing fighter? Uh, and then figuring all that stuff out and then picking like these increasingly minute details of like, what skills am I good at? What kind yeah. of stuff do I have? Um, and then figuring out like what kind of person you are and what your backstory is. Like all that shit really resonates with me and doing it for D I, I love that shit in video games, but doing it for D and D and knowing like, you're going to have to be this person. It makes it a lot more sort of high stakes and a lot more sort of rewarding when you come up with something good. I probably made like four or five characters for the episode, like two episodes of adventure zone nights that Travis actually DM'd and I got to play in and I like just picked the one that I thought was the best, but I was just thinking of all these different possibilities. And I just love that process a lot. Yeah. Have you thought about, you've listened to adventure zone. Have you thought about what your character would be? No, let's get into it. Okay. Um, well, so here's the thing. I feel like you have to pick a character that feels like one that you could embody for sure you know like i always think about that when i listen to your show of like why did travis pick that character why did justin pick that character like what did they think about that character that they thought that they could yeah more easily inhabit so, so my character yeah um would have to be i think very uh practical okay you know like very much of a puzzler like a let's think about all sides of this interesting um you know high high intellect Stat. Well, it feels... Say that about yourself. <laughs> Say I have high intellect. No, I won't be doing that. Okay. I'm from the Midwest. Griffin won't do that. <laughs> um, 
I don't see myself. I don't know what special power I would have, though. Like, if I were in a fight, what would my well, advantage be? Well, don't think be? about that. Let's think about your other traits. Okay. Do you think you'd be an explorer? Do you think you'd be kind of hermetic? Oh, geez. I mean, so here's the thing. Like, I'm obviously very curious. Mm. But I'm also not especially brave. Ah. So I would be interested in finding out information, but not if it put me in peril. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, I think a wizard would be good. I know okay. it's kind of obvious, but I think a wizard would be pretty good. Okay. Maybe a bard. I don't think there's yeah. a bard for poetry. I think you have to play an instrument in the game. But like, if you wanted to play with me sometime, I could figure out like you just have like a notebook or like a mm -hmm. special hat or a stool that you sit on and the magic comes out of you <laughs> in the middle of battle. Um, but anyway, I think you'll be a wizard. What about you, Griffin? I mean, I've made characters before. It's not exciting. Well, who is your favorite character to play in the first arc? Uh, like NPC that I embodied. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Um, you got to think about the stuff for the book tour. That's a good point. I mean, Angus was always very fun. Yeah. There's a young boy named Angus McDonald. I love Angus. I've gotten to do some uh, VO stuff since the yeah. show came out, and a lot of it has not come out uh, yet. And basically, every time I would get in there, <laughs> I would do Angus. Basically, it's sort of <laughs> deep in my bones at this point. Um, but yeah, Angus is a good, a good one. Uh, let's wrap up. I know that seemed a little like self-serving because I did talk about adventures on a lot, but like, I really, I, I guess I was getting nostalgic for D&D because yeah. we don't play it anymore. And, uh, I think it is just a really, really great game and it's a lot of fun. And fifth edition, like you don't even need, uh, like a group of local people playing together. Like I could, I mean, we do it over fucking Skype. Like you could do this in discord. Uh, you can do this in, you know, any, any sort of software that connects you to other people that you choose. Gchat probably maybe gchat i don't know um but yeah it's a lot of fun and i would encourage you to take the leap and like try playing it because i know it is kind of scary you know making up a character and then pretending to be them but like when it pays off it pays off in a way that kind of nothing else really ever has for me before um so with that said can i tell you what other people are into yes I want to tell you about Chris, who says, I love that video of the zookeeper trying to clean the leaves in a panda enclosure, but the baby pandas just want to hop in the leaf buckets and play. It's so cute. I watch it every time I'm down. It never fails to bring my mood up. It's delightful. I've seen a few of these videos. I don't know exactly which one this is, but like the ones where the pandas are like grabbing onto the ankles yeah, of the people as you're trying to so clean sweet. and they kind of tumble and roll. Panda might be a best animal. Whoa. Yeah. That's another episode right there. Maybe, but I mean, all my favorite viral videos have pandas in them. The what panda about? sneezing is still so good. It's 2018, the panda sneezing and scaring the what bigger about panda. the wombat, Griffin? Have you moved on? I love the wombat, but wombat's a very practical thing. I don't even know if I love the wombat more than the capybara. They're very similar. Panda, anyway, this is nothing. Sarah <laughs> says, my wonderful thing that is that I live in an apartment and my next door neighbor plays piano so beautifully. Sometimes when I can hear them playing, I turn off the TV and sit next to the wall I share with their apartment so I can hear the music better. It makes me feel a little creepy, but I like to think they would be flattered. Oh, that's nice. That is nice. Have you ever had this? Well, my grandpa used to play the piano oh, yeah. every single day. He would practice for a long time every day. And whenever I stayed over at my grandparents' house, he would play. And it was oh, wonderful. I bet that was nice. Yeah. Uh, in the house I grew up in, when I was living there my first year of college, my neighbor's kids joined a band class and they uh, <laughs> played the trombone quite a bit, quite a bit, quite a bit. Quite a bit, quite a lot. Well, of Travis played the trombone too, didn't he? Yeah, but not very diligently. <laughs> not as much as this new 
sort of legend of the trombone. Uh, that was my neighbor. But you know what? Didn't bother me because I knew they were learning about the arts. Mm-hmm. And, and when I, the saints go marching in. Oh, don't. You said the song that they definitely did nonstop. <laughs> Everybody does. Okay. Savannah says, something that is endlessly wonderful to me is the method of eating Tim Tam cookies called the Tim Tam Slam. Did I show you the Tim Tam Slam? Do you know what a Tim Tam is? We have had this conversation before, um, but I do not remember the Tim Tam Slam. Not only is it the ideal way to consume a hot beverage and a gooey chocolatey cookie at the same time, it is the slightly ridiculous monitor delights the hell out of me. So Tim Tam is a wafer cookie, and it's completely enclosed in chocolate. Tim Tam Slam, you bite off both ends uh, of the of the wafer cookie. You dip it in a hot hot drink like a hot chocolate, and then you suck the hot chocolate up through the wafer layer. And then you eat that melty, fucked up cookie at the end of it. That sounds delicious. It's a Tim Tam Slam. It's real, real good. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wonderful. And it's been a pleasure to have you. Um, thank you thank for coming. Thank you for coming. And, and for, uh, listening. for listening. And for subscribing and liking. Yeah, sharing. the iTunes. Buzz it on Google Buzz if you're still on there. Mm-hmm. Um, tweet. Tweet it. Add it to your top eight on fucking, what was that one called? MySpace Griffin. Wow. I want to call it LinkedIn. Add me to your top eight on LinkedIn and endorse my skills. And then when you click through my page, it plays Bring Me to Life by Evanescence on my LinkedIn page. (laughs) But it's a shitty MIDI version because I couldn't get like their full song. Um, It was taking too long to download. My dad yelled at me because he needed to make a phone call to his business partner, Gregory. Thank you to Max Fun for having us on the network. You can go to maximumfun.org, check out all the great shows there. Shows like Stop Podcasting Yourself and uh, One Bad Mother and Beef Greatest and Dairy Network. Generation. Greatest Generation. Uh, so many great shows on maximumfun.org. And if you want to hear more stuff we do, it's at macroyshows.com. You want to thank Bowen and Augustus? I would like to thank them for the use of our theme, our intro song. It's our outro, too. And our outro song, Money Won't Pay. Can they find a link to that in the episode description? They can. <laughs> Gravy. <laughs> hey, good luck on your book tour. Oh, thanks. I don't even know what you're supposed to do. I don't know that I'll be dressed right for it. Like, a, Do you have like a blazer with some patches on the elbows? I do, and I have a few ascots. And I'm going to show them to you now, and you let me know which one you want me to go okay. with. All right, here's the first one. Mm-hmm. Blue. Yeah, and here's the other one. Pink. Yeah, and here's the third one. Yellow. And the fourth Green striped. Yeah. And another one? Black. Uh-huh. And this one? Red polka dot. Yeah. And this one? This one's got race cars all Red over it. Red balloons. Okay. <laughs> got a lot of ascots. I got a few ascots. They were on sale. <laughs> At the ascot store. This is nothing. Goodbye. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. Hi, I'm Paula Poundstone. And I'm Adam Felber. Adam, I haven't gotten one thing done today. Well, let me see your to-do list. Ah, yeah. Well, here. 
make 30-second promo for Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. So at least you're getting that done. Score! Except you haven't said what the show is about. We're like a comedy field guide to life starring me and you. I give useful advice, and we have real experts to talk about things like how to keep a friend or what to do when you encounter a bear. Bully for you, but you haven't said where people can find the show. Oh, MaximumFun.org or wherever you find your podcasts.